why don't you go ahead and, uh, and grab your Bibles. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people here with Bibles in their hands that would love to pass them out to you. If, you. if you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, then throw your hand up and grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. Grab a Bible, grab a copy of God's Word, whether it's on your phone, your iPad, or one of these Bibles being handed out to one of your own Bibles, and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're beginning a new series this morning, and as we, as we kick it off this morning, I want to ask you this question that I want you to think about it. What do you think God thinks about you? I mean, as you start to think about the heart and the mind of God, and, and now God is now, now thinking about you this morning, what does God think about you? It's, it's an important question for us to ask, to, to ask ourselves, man, man, what does God think about me? When God's thinking about you, what's he thinking? I mean, what do you think when you think about that question? I mean, what does God think about me? And often we, we answer this question, the way we answer it is, is how we think about ourselves. And so if we're having a good day, maybe you're a Christ follower, you come to church and you're like, man, for me a good day is I woke up early, I got into the word, I, I was really kind to my spouse, I led my kids, I, I prayed today, I, I was honest at work. And I mean, that's a good day. So today, God thinks good things about me. Today... God thinks I'm all right. But on days that aren't going great, maybe for you that's this morning. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I'm in church, but man, to get here, the fight we had last night that continued on to this morning, or maybe you haven't been honest, or maybe you've cheated, or maybe, maybe you've fallen back into old patterns and choices and addictions and sinful uh, ways of doing life, and you said, I'll never do that again. You've fallen back into those, and on that day, you're thinking in your mind, usually a lot of times we think, man, today God must have a different view of who I am. And really what we do, we end up thinking that God's impression of us, God's view of us actually has more to do with what I think about myself. And so I, I start thinking like, like God's looking at me going, well, Kai, what, what, what do you think today? Oh, really? Because that's how I feel too. Or so often we, we have this view of how God sees us based on what other people think. And we think I've disappointed my parents, I've... I've disappointed my spouse and my friends. And, and now, now everyone has a way of viewing me. Culture looks at me. My community looks at me. My family looks at me in a certain way. And, and man, that's how God must feel about me too. What I, what I want us to do this morning as we, we look at God's word this morning, I want us to see well, what does God really think when he looks at your life? And I want us to unpack that this morning. What, what does God actually think when he looks at your life? And you may be thinking, listen, hey, 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 pastor, you don't know me. You can't answer that question of what God thinks about me. You, you don't know about my past. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the person that I am, the people that I've disappointed. And listen, this morning, I don't want you to hear that I'm giving my opinion of what God thinks about you. I'm not doing that this morning. I want to open up Luke chapter 15, and we're going to hear Jesus. We're going to hear Jesus let us know what God thinks about when he thinks about you. 
And here's the great thing about Jesus. He doesn't just say those things. I mean, he puts this into action, how God feels about you, so much so that the reason that, that Luke 15 is here, the reason that, that Luke wrote, had to write out this, the reason that Jesus was telling these stories we're about to read is because he has to explain to people what God thinks about them. Because people looked in and see who Jesus hung out with, who Jesus seemed to love and like and hang out with, that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, God on earth, people saw who Jesus was hanging out with and, and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this kind of blows up my thinking of how God thinks about people. We see all throughout the Gospels, the, the four historical accounts we have of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus is always surrounded by people that were nothing like him. Jesus was holy. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was pure. And yet the people who were around him weren't that way. The people who liked Jesus, the people who Jesus liked, loved being around I mean, that's the crazy thing. It wasn't just that, that people were drawn to Jesus. It just, it seems that Jesus really loved hanging out with them too. Jesus really liked totally busted up people. In fact, you're taking notes this morning. Our first point is that, that Jesus loves lost people. And think about that for a minute, that, that Jesus loves lost people. If, if you were alive in the first century in Israel, if you were hanging out in the places that Jesus was hanging out with, that Jesus would love to hang out with you. I mean, think about that. Think about, take it out from the, the really big view, the, 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 the very truthful and view, but it's kind of this, this ethereal view that, that for God so loves the world, bring it down to street level and understand that when we read through the Gospels, when you see Jesus, that, that not only does God so love the world, no, that, that Jesus would love you, that God would want to hang out with you. Now, if that's hard for you to get your head wrapped around, if that's hard for you to go, wait a minute, for real, G Jesus would hang out with me. Jesus would like me. If we find that difficult, maybe it's because we've missed something about the love of God. Maybe it's because the love of God is bigger than we give it room for. Maybe it's because the love of God is radically more unconditional than we ever thought. Now, if that's hard for you to get your head wrapped around, don't worry, you're in good company. It was hard for the people of Jesus' day as well. The people who saw Jesus live this out found this very difficult to understand. It's why Jesus has to tell the stories we're going to unpack this morning. In fact, look at verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. It says the, the tax collectors and sinners. Now we got to understand who these people are who are hanging out with Jesus. The tax collectors, they're, they're not just, just accountants. They're not just people that work for, for the Canada Revenue Agency. Right? These guys were traitors. In Israel. Rome had invaded, right? And, and Rome, if you know anything about Roman history, they were a brutal, brutal regime. They, they would crucify whole towns that tried to stand up against them. That they ruled by fear and by power. And, and so in order to continue to rule how big that their kingdom was becoming, they needed a lot of money to pay for their armies. So they taxed their people. And how they heavily taxed their people, they would grab local people and say, hey, you're our tax collector. Why don't you collect taxes from your own people and pay yourself out of that? I mean, can you imagine how you would view that person in your neighborhood? Imagine if America invaded Canada. 
right? They've sent Pastor Lee ahead. He's scoping the place out, all right? And then they, they invade our country, right? They, they add another down to our football game. Okay, they make us say y'all all the time, right? They're, they're changing everything. But not only that, all right, pictured in this culture, they were brutal. They, they would kill your family. And they would hire a guy from your small group in church. They hired that guy to collect taxes from you. And that guy was getting rich off of it. I mean, how angry would you be? How disappointed would you be with those people who claim to worship the same God you worship, who, who claim to be following the same God, and yet they're ripping off God's people? I mean, they were a hated people. How hated were the tax collectors? Here's how hated they were. When they would come to the synagogue, the church of that day, the synagogue refused to take their money. I mean, how hated do you have to be that the church would say, no, no, don't you give money to us, Right? That's the tax collectors. I would call them the kind of upper class sinners. They had money. They, they wore nice clothes. They drove nice cars. They, they were put together on the outside, but they were completely lost. He says they were tax collectors. Now Luke also says this. He says they were sinners. Now, now sinners, it's, it's much more than how we would kind of use that term sinners because we would say, oh, we're all sinners. Oh, bless your heart. You're a sinner like I'm a sinner. No, when, when Luke uses that word sinner, he's talking about something even deeper than that. This is a word that would describe people who were so obviously lost. These are the addicts, the hookers, the drug dealers, the drunks, the, the ex-cons, the, the people who were so different, the people who were the outsiders, who weren't a part of your community, the people who were poor and destitute, the broken. And so here you have, you have the, the upper class sinners, you have the, the, the down and out sinners, and what happens? It says in verse 2, they're drawing near to Jesus, verse 2, it says, the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He's saying that he receives them. What's that mean? He says he welcomes them into his life. He, he likes these people. It says that he, he eats with them. And that's more than just, hey, he shares a sandwich with somebody. In that culture, if you eat with somebody, what you're saying, you're saying that, that uh, I accept you. That I welcome you. That, that we're okay. And the Pharisees reacted to this. Now, if you've been raised in church, you, you've got a, a, a switch that goes on when you hear the word Pharisee, and you um, automatically are like, oh yeah, the bad guys, the enemies of Jesus, the, the uber-religious jerks. Yeah, Pharisees, we even use that word, you're so pharisaical, right? But, but you have to understand who these Pharisees were, who was actually grumbling here, right? There, there were a lot of different religious groups in first century Israel. You had the, the Essenes, and the Essenes, they were the ultra, super conservative, super spiritual. They would have nothing to do with the world. The Essenes removed themselves, rejected the world completely, renounced everything. They were like the Hutterites, the old school Mennonites. That's the Essenes. You also had the Zealots. Now, the Zealots, they were more focused on political things. Always looking for ways. How can we overthrow the Roman government? Right, the zealots, they, they had like, like storehouses of guns in their garage. That's the zealots, okay? They, they were so angry the Romans had come in. Then you had the Sadducees. 
And the Sadducees, they, they were religious, but religious in quotation marks. They, they, they cozied up to the Romans. They were the elites of the day. And so they, they kind of watered down the, the whole idea of who God was. They didn't really want to believe in, in spiritual things. So they, they, they weren't so hip with God, but they, they liked religion okay for what it got them with society and with the Romans. And then now you have the Pharisees. They're not part of the elite like the Sadducees. They're not, they're not extremely political like the Zealots. They're, they're not, they're not the, into the whole super spirituality like the Essenes. These Pharisees, they love the word of God. They love the Old Testament. In fact, I would say this, the Pharisees would be more like your regular going to church people. They were like a pastor of a church. And they saw who Jesus was hanging out with. And it says the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the people who would, who would dig into the word, who would study the word, they saw them and they grumbled. Maybe you've got a translation that says they murmured. I like that word, they murmured. It's a word that even sounds like what they're doing. Doesn't it murmur? Right? Here, try it. Everyone try it. Everyone say murmur, murmur, murmur. Try it. Yeah, it sounds like, right? and Perry sounded like, you're on video. We don't have to do what you say, right? And you just, you did it right there. You murmured. You said, we're not going to do what you say, right? Right? So here's these people. They, they're, they're murmuring. They're complaining. They're saying, we're not going to do it. We don't like what Jesus is doing. We, look what he, he's receiving, these sinners. They're, they're upset because Jesus is hanging out with people who weren't coming to their church. They, they were so far outside of what, what they think God would call holy, and for sure it is far outside what God calls holy, and yet here's Jesus who claims to be God, and he's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. And they say, look, 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 here's Jesus, says he's God, and look at his friends. I mean, could, could you imagine, it's, it's, let me put it in context for us today. It, it's like you seeing, seeing Billy Graham and he's having coffee with, with Kanye West all the time. He's, he's inviting the whole Kardashian family over for dinner like every night. You're thinking, that's odd. Has Billy Graham gone soft on sin? Murmur, 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 right? I mean, think about what the Pharisees are complaining about. Think about their perspective. If we're really honest with ourselves, it actually seems somewhat reasonable, does it not? And so Jesus tells this story. He tells what we call a parable. Now, a parable, it's a, it's a made-up story that has a, a clear truth in it. And he's, he's telling this parable, this story. Why? Because he wants to challenge this thinking that says, Man, what does God think about those people? And Jesus wants to let everybody know what God thinks about them. So as so he tells this story, verse 3, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He goes on, or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. I found the coin that I'd lost. Just so, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Next Sunday, we're going to unpack the third part of this story where he talks about a son who leaves his father and says, I don't want to be around you anymore. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. And Jesus tells us these three stories. Why? He, he's telling us who he was embracing and seeking and finding and accepting into the party, accepting into the family. And guess what? The religious people, the churchgoers, the pastors did not like who he was accepting into the party. I mean, it's everybody they weren't comfortable with. They weren't comfortable with them racially. They weren't comfortable with them economically. They weren't comfortable with them socially. They weren't comfortable with these people morally. They didn't fit in, yet these are the ones who Jesus says, these are the ones I'm inviting into the family. And, and the Pharisees, listen, they weren't complaining because they were bad people. It's not that they didn't like bad people. They liked bad people as long as they cleaned themselves up first, dressed right, smelled right, acted right, talked right, fit into our little thing. And Jesus says, no, they don't have to clean themselves up. They come as they are because I love you and I pursue you and I'm the one who brings the change and the transformation. It happens after you come. Jesus is saying, listen, God has a reckless, unconditional love. And yes, it doesn't make sense at times. Yes, it's so illogical when we start to look at it. But it's a love that's so real and so practical. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't just talk about this love. I actively pursue you. And when I find you, I change you and I rejoice over you. I party when you're found. I mean, Jesus is absolutely blowing up the religious paradigm that these guys had. I think when we read it, we should see it blowing up our little paradigm too. He's saying, you're all lost, all of you. I mean, think about it. If, if Jesus could only eat with people who weren't sinners, Jesus would eat alone his entire time. He was on earth. The reality that these religious guys couldn't see. And as a church, listen, we can miss this too. Everyone is lost. Everyone is a sinner in need of a savior. The, the outwardly broken are lost. Just as lost as the well-dressed, come really nice looking, come from a good home sinner. In fact, when we're, the, the third part of the story where he talks about the, the son who, who runs away, the son who leaves his family, we, we normally call it the prodigal son. I don't think that's a good title because it's not about one lost son. Look at verse 11. How, how many sons are there? Verse 11 says there was a man who had oh, two, two sons. I mean, we're going to unpack this story a little more next week, but there's a second son. There's a second son who doesn't outwardly rebel, who does everything good and right. And yet at the end of the story, he's more lost than his brother. He's lost because of his goodness. And we can have this idea that God loves good people, that good people are saved, bad people are lost, and Jesus is saying, no, you're all lost. Some of you are lost because of, of foolishness, like, like sheep. Some of you are lost because of carelessness, because like, like a coin. Some of you are lost like the young son because of prideful rebellion. Some of you are lost like the older brother through self-righteousness, not even knowing that you're lost, forgetting that you were lost. 
The reality of being lost is not about good or bad. It's about running away from God. It's not about good or bad. When you read through the Gospels, it's so interesting that it's the bad people who flock to Jesus the most. I think they're less in denial than good people. They hear Jesus talk about new life and they say, I need that. The, the good people who are, who are the most alien and yet, yet and sorry, the bad people who, who are, are so lost, yet I think it's the good people who really are the most alienated. They don't even know their need. It's not about being good or bad. We're all lost when we run away from God. Whether you run to sin and, and living in a way that brings brokenness or whether you run to good works and I'm going to do more, you're just as lost. And most times you're more lost because you think I'm making it. Here's our second point this morning is this. Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks after the lost. I mean, the, the, the sheep was lost because he thought, man, I can get food and I don't need a shepherd. I'm going to get my own food. And I think this food's better than what the shepherd's providing. So I'm going to go after this. And Jesus says, hey, you're just like those sheep. You can understand something. When Jesus says you're like sheep, Isaiah 53, 6 says the same thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We, we've gone after things for our own way. And Jesus says you're like sheep. It's, it's not a compliment because, listen, sheep aren't really bright. Sheep are a bit of a dumb animal. You can't teach a sheep to play fetch, all right? You might be thinking, I can't teach my cat that either. It's not because your cat's dumb. It's because your cat thinks you're dumb, all right? Your cat's like, why am I going to fetch that? Get the dog to fetch that, right? That's a cat, all right? But you, you can't teach a sheep to fetch something. Sheep can't find their own way back. Sheep are dumb, Sheep can't defend themselves if they're lost. They, they don't have fangs. They don't have, they don't have, they don't have talons. Remember, do you guys, if, you're, if you've been living in Muskoka for any period of time, do you remember Guhas? If you don't know who Guhas is, Guhas was this place in Utterson where this guy had lions and tigers and panthers in these cages in his front yard. It was the, the coolest, oddest thing ever in Muskoka, right? Now, now, if you were Guhas' neighbor and he phoned you and went, um... Yeah, just so you know, all the cages fell apart. The big cats are out. What would you do? You'd be like, what? You would be scared. You would, hey, kids, get in the house. Now, now, if you were living next to a guy who had sheep, and he called you and said, hey, I just want to let you know that my fences broke down and the sheep are out. You wouldn't be hiding in your house. You'd be like, hey, kids, let's go outside and pet the sheep, right? That's sheep, so when Jesus says we're lost like sheep, when God says you're lost like sheep, we see sin and we wander away and we can't find our way back home. We can't defend ourselves when we're lost. There's nothing we can do. Hey, do these things. I think so much religion teaches us that we're not like sheep. No, we're like dogs. We're like horses. If, we, if you just get trained to do these certain things, then you'll be okay. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, no, no, you're sheep. You need a shepherd. It's the good shepherd who finds you. You're a coin that's lost. It's the, it's the peasant woman that finds you. Now, a little side note here. Isn't that there's something, uh, almost a, a multi-layer thing Jesus is doing here? In the story, he's saying, who is God? God's a shepherd. God's a peasant woman. I mean, that right there is blowing the Pharisees up. Did you just say God's a woman? 
Did you just say God is a shepherd? Those freaks who smell, who, who are so odd, who are out talking to sheep the whole time? Jesus continued to, to relating to the poor, the outcast. But the great news in both of these stories is this. It's God who does the searching. We don't find Jesus. I know, I know in our language we say, you know, he, this is the time that I found Christ. Listen, in reality, we don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. There's, there's nothing for us. And we gather together to worship Christ. Listen, there's nothing that Christians should really brag about. I'm a pretty smart Christian. Yeah, for a sheep, right? I'm pretty strong. For a sheep, we're strong. We're not smart, we're not tough, we're not good, but listen, we have a good shepherd. The coin didn't do anything good to be found. The coin isn't bragging to the other nine coins. Yeah, you know, I was lost, but then I saw the purse coming by and I, I flipped myself up into the purse. But the coin's like, no, we were there. That's not how it works. She found you. She picked you up. That's how salvation works. Listen, we sin, we're spiritually dead. We don't save ourselves. We don't know God. We don't pursue God. Listen, God knows us. God pursues us. God literally in Jesus Christ picks us up because he cares for us. I love the picture of he picks up the lamb and says, I'm bringing this home. Can you imagine how hard that would be for the shepherd? Picking up this hundred pound animal saying, you're not gonna come home on your own, so I gotta carry you back home. That Jesus picks up his cross to say, I'm carrying you home. I'm the one doing the work. You're lost, you're broken, but I'm bringing you home. What we see here is Jesus, he's, he's expanding our view of sin much, much deeper than just good or bad. It's us running from God, some running towards sin, some running towards religion and good works, both lost. But Jesus, not only is he saying, hey, you need a deeper understanding of sin, he says you also need to have an expanded view of how God thinks about you, about his love for you, about how he values you. Why did the shepherd leave 99 sheep to go after one? Why, why did the woman flip her house upside down looking for this one silver coin? I mean, if you lost a quarter or even a loony, how hard would you look for it? Now think about something more valuable. Ever lose a kid? If you're like, what, lose one of your children? You don't have kids then, right? Kids are like ninjas. They, they sneak away. It's so hard, right? You're, if you haven't lost your kid yet, you will. You'll turn, where'd they go? And what do you do? You don't go, meh, we can make another one. No, right? You're like, no, I gotta find, my, why? Because your kid is valuable to you. This past spring, uh, Libby, my wife, lost her engagement ring. She, she had taken it off because the, the diamond was kind of falling out. She had to get it repaired, so she set it behind the sink. And then one day she calls me, um, have you seen my ring? Uh, no. I don't know where it is. I, so, so, so what do we do? We went, meh, whatever. No, no. She's like, I think I may have scooped it. It may have fallen into the sink and I may have scooped it into the trash. And so, so what do we do? I mean, I, I come home I'm like, well, where are the trash bags? Well, you took, remember, we missed garbage. You took that one trash bag to throw it in that dumpster. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. And so, so what do I do? I'm, I'm getting in the car, man. I'm going to drive to that dumpster. So I'm in the dumpster up to like here in garbage, ripping bags open, trying to find this ring. When I come home, she's already basically ripped the entire kitchen, it looked like, off the wall 
I'll see if it went in behind. She'd spread garbage out on the garage floor. Why? Now we found it. I found it. I was like the hero there. That's really cool, right? So I sent her a little picture of me in a dumpster with a ring. Ah! It was awesome. Um, yeah. All right. And we'll get there. It's coming in the story. Don't ruin it. We do celebrate, okay? The celebration's coming. All right. Now, why would I do that? Why would I jump into a dumpster and rip open piles of garbage bags? Because the ring was valuable. Why is God searching? Why would Jesus leave everything he had in heaven to come down to earth, into the dumpsters of sin, into the pain and the brokenness, not just to, not just to come in to, to be around it, but to take it on himself on the cross? Why would he do that? Listen, because you're valuable. I mean, we see all the way through scripture that, that God loves the one despite of them. From Genesis to Revelation, you see this, despite of our sin, despite of our waywardness, despite of our efforts, our failures, despite everything, God says, no, I'm choosing to love you. From people complaining under Moses to them rejecting God as king, and then when God provides a king, they're just always moving to idolatry. They compromise under the Romans. God, across thousands of years, has pursued stubborn people that we call the church now. And when all else failed, Jesus came in the flesh to knock on their doors, to eat at their tables, to call them back to him. Why? Because God would not let them go. I mean, it's such a beautiful truth. You read it in verse four. It says in verse four, he leaves the 99, goes after the one. At the end of verse four, it says, goes after the lost until he finds it. End of verse eight, the woman seeks diligently until she finds it. This is hard for us to get our heads wrapped around because God does not need us. He isn't dependent on us, and yet God chooses to value us. I mean, think about that. The God who created the galaxies with a word, he values you and loves you so much that he's, he's tied his heart to you. I love in John 17 how Jesus says, for their sake I sanctify myself. He says, my heart's so bound to these people that when their heart is broken, my heart is broken. I can't be happy until they rejoice. I mean, that's amazing if you think about it, that that God, the God of the universe, that Jesus is saying, I created you and I value you and I'll do anything for you. Not just that, he did everything for us. He gave his life for us. And Jesus is this, he's saying, hey, your value doesn't come from what you think about yourself. Your value doesn't come from what other people label you with. Your value doesn't come from your status, your power, your performance. And you can run into those things, but they never, ever provide life. They always leave us empty. Or you can know that there's a God who, whose, whose eye is the only eye in the universe that counts. And he delights in you. He cares for you, not because you've gotten your life together, but, but even in your lostness. I mean, I mean, do you understand that? Do, do you see your lostness and, and how treasured you are that Jesus would pursue you? And some of you this morning, listen, Jesus is pursuing you. And you know it. And you've been, you've been coming to harvest for a while, and you've been kind of like, I want to check this thing out. But you know in your heart that, man, God is pursuing me. 
Some of you are Christ followers, yet you've been wandering, and you know God's pursuing you. And some of you have strayed far. Some of you have strayed very far, and you've strayed for years, and you've walked away from God. You've walked away from his people. You've turned your back on the shepherd. You're, you're no longer in community with the rest of the sheep. But this morning, again, you hear the shepherd. And you hear the other sheep calling you back to the shepherd. And here's the good news. The shepherd is right here. Ready to pick you up. You, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't even have to walk yourself back. Jesus picks you up. You just need to turn around. Because Jesus, he's willing to forgive. He's willing to embrace. He's willing to love. He's willing to serve. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from the shepherd doesn't matter how long you've been separated from the flock, he'll take you back right now. Jesus loves you. Jesus misses you. Jesus came to earth for you. You just need to turn. In fact, the word that Jesus uses in verse 7, is says, just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. He uses that word repent. He uses it again in verse 10. There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, what's that mean? What's, what's that mean to repent? How, how does that play into this? Well, repentance, it just means this. It means a change of mind, first of all, where you confess. What's it mean to confess? It means you say, you, you say with your mouth, you, you, you agree that the way I've been going is not the right way. I'm not going in the right direction. Lord, I've sinned, I've strayed, I'm in trouble. I don't know how to figure it out. I am completely lost. I don't know how to get back. Please pick me up. That's where repentance begins, a change of mind. It also begins with a change of heart where you're broken over that sin, where you feel the weight of being away from the Father and your heart changes. And finally, what happens when your mind is changed and your heart is changed, repentance is your will then changes. God, I, I wanna walk with you. I wanna walk with your people. Repentance, it just means to turn. It, it means to do a 180. I'm going this way after sin or I'm going this way after religion and I'm gonna turn and say, Lord, I wanna follow after you. Is that you this morning? Here's the result. What's the result of the sinner who repents? Well, our third point this morning, our last point real quickly is this. We have a party in God. I mean, the question I asked at the beginning is, hey, what does God think about you? Well, when, when he searches for you and when you're found, he doesn't say, it's about time. Where have you been? Don't you know what you did? You know how, do you know how much against my law this was? Do you know how much, like God, God isn't doing that. God, God doesn't have his arms crossed. He doesn't say, oh, oh, look at, look at, you deserve what you got. I told you it would turn out like this. Listen, God is grieved by our sin. Don't miss that. God hates sin. But he's also filled with joy when we repent. When somebody lost turns to Jesus. When that, that person who very first time you turn, you say, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. And you, your heart is changed in that moment. You go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Your sins are forgiven in an instant. It, that, that person who turns, it says here that God parties about that. 
or, or, or you as a Christ follower, when you turn from sin throughout your life and you're constantly turning from sin, God throws a party. All three stories end the same way. They all end with a party. Look at verse 7 again. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you hear what he's saying to the Pharisees? He's saying, you guys don't bring God any joy. Why? Because they never repent. They never feel like they need to repent. But God's the happiest. God's filled with joy when we're honest about our sin, when we rejoice in the gospel, when we say, I'm more sinful than I'd ever admit, but because of Jesus Christ, I'm more loved than I could ever imagine. And we turn our hearts towards God. And what happens? God throws a party. He's throwing one right now. Here we go. <laughs> Verse 10, same thing. He says, just so I tell you, see in verse 10 there, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now I gotta tell you, I grew up in the church and maybe you did too, maybe you've heard this before. I think I've always heard this wrong. What do you hear? You say, hey, the angels are rejoicing because that person came to Christ. I, it's true, but I think it's only partially true. Do you actually see what's happening here? It says that, that, that before the angels, there's a party going on. Yeah, the angels are partying, but who's leading the party? It's God looking out going, yes, another sinner's come home. Turn on the music. Angels, let's dance. It's God who's the one who's rejoicing. And some of you have struggled to repent of sin. And, and, and maybe you've been resisting, you've been hiding it, you've been faking it, and you wonder, but if I open myself up, if I open this sin up to, to confess it, what will God say? What will he do? What well, says here, he'll rejoice. He'll throw a party. God loves to forgive. You have not gone too far. You have not done too much. Do not believe that lie. Jesus is looking for you. He left the 99. He threw a party when he found the one coin. And I'm, the party probably cost more than the value of that coin. And listen, church, as Jesus saves, as Jesus forgives, as Jesus transforms, as God rejoices, we're given this opportunity, church, to join in in that rejoicing. To share in that by, by, how, by telling others the gospel, the good news about Jesus, telling others about the good shepherd and, and seeing Jesus being with Christ as he picks them up and carries them in their sin and their shame back to God and transforms their life and they join this flock and we get to rejoice. I mean, this story, these stories should impact us as a church. If, if, if you're an active member of this church, this should be something you need to wrestle with. That whenever Jesus gives the announcement of the gospel, the good news, the people who showed up to hear it were the people who, who were most not like people you would think would be in church. So listen, if, if our church just fills up with only nice people, if, if our church is only filled up with the kind of people that, that who fit in so easily, I don't think we're living out the gospel of Jesus. We're just like the Pharisees. So what do we do with this passage, Harvest? 
I mean, Jesus saying, this is how I want my community to look. Does our church family have these values? Do we look like the, the three homes depicted in these stories? Are we searching? Are we celebrating? Or do we have a, a heart and a home for the lost? Listen, I want to encourage you as a church. One of the reasons I love being a part of Harvest is I see this happening. Where do I see it happening? I, I see people searching. And I, people see, I, I see people giving a lot to search. I see it in small groups especially. Where, where, where when somebody is hurting, when a marriage is breaking up, the small group says, no way, forget that. We're going after them. When they say, I don't want anything to do, no, no, we're not going to let you go. We're going to go after. When somebody's hurting, we're not going to let them hurt alone. We want to come alongside them. When somebody's, if somebody's caught in addiction, they say, no, we're going to give our time and our effort to walk with you and be beside you, to bring you home, to point you to Jesus. I love in our church how there's celebration over people who are lost, who are transformed. That when, when testimonies are shown on the screen, you guys cheer. When baptisms happen, you guys light up and cheer. In fact, it was just this week, I've been away on vacation for a while, and when I came back, this week was filled with people wanting to tell me stories of transformation. Somebody came to the office, they, they said, I want to meet with Kai. And they're like, well, he's, when, he, when he come, I can come this time? Well, he's, he's got like just a short period of time between two meetings he's in, but, but what's he coming? And why did he want to come? He's like, Kai, I don't have a problem. I don't got something you need to solve, man. I just want to tell you about how Jesus is pursuing somebody that I love. And told me a story of praying for someone and seeing miracles happening. Just could not, couldn't contain himself. When he, when he left, people were like, man, who was that in your office, man? They were like so loud that we thought, was something going? No, we were celebrating. Let's celebrate when the lost come home, when sin is confessed. Let's be a church that looks like the, she the shepherd. Let's be a church that looks like this woman. Let's be like the father and the third story. Let's throw parties. I, mean, I think one of the reasons why we don't see celebrations happening in church more often is that we've forgotten the work of God in our lives. We can forget that we were lost. We can forget that we still wander. We can forget that Jesus found us. I mean, I often think this. We were like, yeah, no, Jesus changed my heart. He transformed my heart. And you need to send missionaries from your heart to your face because your face isn't showing that, right? <laughs> if we were lost and we were found, I mean, we shouldn't show up on a Sunday board. We shouldn't just be a spectator of what God's doing in our church. We, we shouldn't see the, our church growing and think, oh man, I gotta serve. No, we should be like, man, I get to serve because God is rescuing more and we forget that this is a party. We need to be a church like these homes. Why? Because we wanna look and love and live like Jesus. And our, our vision as a church is that, that we should be a church that searches and celebrates. We should be a, a church that notices when somebody is lost and wandering. Because we still understand what it means to be lost. What it looks like, what it feels like. And listen, we're not a perfect church. I'm not saying we're gonna catch every person who is lost, but let, let's, not, not, let's not not do it because we're, we're just sitting back and just not pursuing, not being like Christ. Let's, let's lean into this. Let's be a church that goes and seeks and sacrifices, that, that will go to illogical lengths to love people. Let's be a church that celebrates and welcomes people into the family. As the worst team comes up, as we end off this morning, 
I mean, the reality of the stories here, this first story, you know, that, that when, when Jesus presents himself, God, as the shepherd, Jesus didn't just come as the shepherd. We also know that Jesus came as a sheep. That he was the lamb of God, that he laid down his life for the Pharisee and for the tax collector. He laid down his life for the religious sinner and the irreligious sinner. That Jesus Christ, he alone is the one who saves. And Jesus, he's, he's searching for what's valuable to him, for, the, for the, the sheep, the coin. This is you in the story. This is me in the story. And, and the value is not because of what you bring, because of how God sees you. And Jesus is seeking after you. And Jesus is seeking us as a church to be a community like that too, where we're seeking. We're, we're seeking after the orphaned, those at risk, the unwed moms, the, the widows, the strippers, the alcoholics, the drug users, the, the adulterers, the workaholics, the, the thieves, the, the, the good moral family who lives across the street. His kingdom knows no boundaries, knows no limitations. So let's search and let's celebrate. Would you stand with me as I pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, even right now, <clears throat> Lord God, I pray that if there are those here this morning who are lost, that even now, even now, they would see you. They would turn to you. God, if sin needs to be confessed, that it would be confessed right now. If there's one here this morning who hasn't given their life to you to say, I want to follow you. I've been checking you out, Jesus, but I want to give everything to you that this morning, Lord God, this morning will be the morning where one more is saved, where one more is brought home, where one more is transformed. Father, if hearts are cold in this room, Lord God, right now, may we turn our hearts to see how lost we are and yet found we are in you, Jesus, and we would celebrate. That we would celebrate the truth of the gospel. That I was lost, but now I'm found. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.